0: All right. Well, how are we doing tonight? Yeah? Good. Well, I am excited to be here, excited for the opportunity to, to just hang out with you guys and also to speak tonight. And so um, really just to kick it off, I've got two stories for us. Um, and the first story is actually about one of my best friends who is, lives and is from Seattle, Washington. So I recently moved back to the East Coast. I'm originally from here. But after college, moved out to Seattle, Washington for a few years, and um, that's where I met this guy, and I tell you the story of him because it's just been really, it's been a real encouragement to me in my life, and I think it's going to have some encouragement to what you guys are, are facing with and just dealing with just life in general. Um, but his name's Ben, Ben Malcolmson, and he, he's got a really cool job. He gets to work for the NFL, um, but he works for a man named Pete Carroll. Does anyone know who Pete Carroll is? Yeah? Who's Pete Carroll. He is the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And so he and Pete have been together for eight years by now, uh, but his story didn't start there. Ben's story actually started at the University of Southern California, um, and he was a, a journalist major, wasn't an athlete really, just kind of a, yeah, go Trojans, <laughs> uh, but a journalist major and just, just kind of an average guy. Uh, but he followed sports and began writing about just the success that Coach Carroll had with his team as he led them to two national championships, and then they consistently became the number one team of the year, year after year after year. So senior year comes around, and Ben just decides, now I'm going to do something kind of crazy. He's not much bigger than I am. He's a few inches taller. He's probably six foot, but very similar body types and just not a big dude to be anything for a football team. But he's like, I'm going to go try try out. I'm going to go just to write about it. He wanted to write about the experience of what it takes to be on the best team in the country. And so that's what he does. He doesn't tell anybody because he doesn't want it to like, be embarrassed if, he's, if he doesn't make it or anything like that because he hasn't played football since fifth grade. So just like most of us, like, I mean, if we haven't played a sport since fifth grade, the odds of us making the number one team in the country, pretty slim to none, right? But that's what he does. He goes out, tries out, and then he gets a phone call a couple of days later and his buddy goes, Ben, why's your name on the roster? And Ben's like, what? No, that's a joke. And he, gets, he just tells the guy that Coach Carroll's trolling him. And so he immediately gets out of bed and runs to the athletic facility, and uh, there it is. He sees his name right there, Ben Malcolmson. He's like, what? So he immediately goes to coach, he goes, coach, all right, let's cut it. I, I get that this is a joke. I get you think this is funny, that I can put it in my story. And coach is like, Ben, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so after they continue to go back and forth, back and forth, Coach Carroll ultimately just tells Ben, he goes, Ben, you're either with us or you're not. And Ben goes, oh, I guess this is for real. And so from that point on, Ben's career and that college career began to change for him because he then began to practice, he began to train, he began to weightlift, he began to like live life of a college athlete. But quickly into the season, Ben ended up having a career-ending injury. And so he's asking God, like, God, I thought you like, obviously I thought you had a plan for my life, and I know you do, but I thought this was it. I thought you were giving me this gift and this opportunity to play ball my senior year to be with the best, best athletes in the country, and I feel like I'm on the sidelines right now not being used for anything. And so the season goes on, and Ben is just kind of struggling with both identity and kind of just thinking through, like, man, what am I here for right now? Like, what's the purpose of being on this team? Because I'm giving so much time to this, to this when I'm not actually contributing. So throughout the season, I guess we're getting close to the end of the season, Ben's like, man, I think I got it. I think I, think I know what God wants me to do here. I think I'm going to put a Bible in every single player's locker. They don't know it has to become, it's from me, they don't know that, I mean, they can do whatever they want with it, but, I mean, it's not too churchy, not too christian It's like, hey, people can do what they want. So that's what he does. Christmas break comes around, and he puts a Bible in everyone's locker, and they all come back, and uh, back to the season after Christmas, and, and he walks in that locker room, and people are just angry. I mean, Bibles are torn to pieces. Bibles are in the trash can. People are chucking them out across the room at each other, and just everything you can imagine is just like, Ben's gut just was crushed. It's like, God, I thought this was it. Like, what? Like, what, more, what more do you want from me? I thought this is what you wanted, You had me on this team for. Season goes on. They, the, they win the Rose Bowl, and the very next day, Ben gets another phone call. It's not as exciting as the first call to let him know that he was on the team. This phone call was to notify him that one of his best friends on the team ended up passing away the night before. And so he had a hiking accident where he fell off the cliff, and that was that. And, and Ben immediately thought, man, I missed it. I thought, I thought this is why. Maybe, maybe that was why God had me on the, on the team, was to spend more time with, with this guy. To get to know more about his story, to care for him in a way that others weren't. So Ben felt that personally, but life goes on. Ben graduated, went on to do his master's degree at USC, began working full-time for Pete Carroll, Um, and about three years later, Pete gets the call to go to Seattle. Pete leaves, and about a couple of weeks later, he calls Ben and says, Ben, I gotta have you. And Ben's like, there is no way on earth I'm coming to Seattle. I love the beach, I love the weather, I love the sunshine, and all my friends in my life are here in L.A., and Pete goes, Ben, I need you. Next thing you know, Ben's packed his bags and head off to Seattle. A couple of th- weeks later, a friend from California comes back up that he hasn't seen in a few years. And they're from, they played ball together and just kind of reminiscing on the good times and they're laughing and they're crying and they're cracking jokes. And his friend goes, dude, do you remember all those Bibles? And Ben goes, dude, I, yeah, I'll never forget it because that is not what I had planned. Like it was just, it totally failed. And, and his friend goes, you have no idea, do you? Ben gets all serious and he's like, what are you talking about? He goes, I mean, that Bible, that book, that changed That changed his life. That changed, like, the guy, the teammate that had passed away. That, he took that Bible. I know everyone else was throwing in the trash can and, like, tearing pieces out of page, pages out of the book. He, said, but that, he carried that thing with him everywhere. He read that thing nonstop. Like, if he were here today, he would tell you that it absolutely changed his life. And this is four years after the fact that Ben went through that entire year thinking that like, it's kind of a waste. Kind of a waste of his time, his effort, his energy. Like, what on earth? So I tell you that story not to tell you how great Ben is or about an NFL career or what, like, working for the, the league or anything like that. But to tell you that God is at work in lives and parts of our areas of our life that we don't always know. Um, that we don't always get to see the benefits of and that we have an influence in our own, amongst our own community, amongst our friends, amongst our schools, amongst our sports teams that we don't always get to see what, what, how that's going to play out. But that's what leads us to our second story, which is going to be in alignment with what Caleb and Ben have been talking about over the last couple of weeks of this idea and this theme of no filter. You see, you guys have been going through this idea, the story in, in Matthew of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has been speaking to this group of people, with, whereas there's men, there's women, there's children, there's uh, religious leaders, you've got the disciples, all these different groups of people are all out listening to Jesus tell the story. I give this message, and that's what tonight is. And so, Jesus, we're going to pick it back up in verse thirteen through sixteen of chapter five, if you're if you have your Bibles. But um, we'll start in thirteen. It says, "You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under your feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand." and it gives light to the entire house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is very clear, no filter. He's just shooting it straight, saying how it is, that you are salt and you are light. And he's, call, he's calling out the believers there. He's talking directly to his disciples, and he's talking to the people in the audience who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, you are salt and you are light. So what does that mean for us? What? Like, well, you've got to understand salt in its context. And so at the time, they don't have refrigeration like they do, like we do now. We rely on refrigeration and all sorts of other tools to help our food last a lot longer. But then, they didn't have any of that. And so they relied on salt for a number of, of, of resources. But a few of these are these. I mean, this right here. They utilized salt to preserve. And so when they would make their, or get their beef or their chicken or their pork or come out from fishing, and they've got all the fish with them, I and mean, they would immediately scale them and then Pour salt, or pour salt all over them to, for transportation, to go from one city to another city. Otherwise, they'd go bad. And so salt is an essential use to preserve food at this point in time in life and for these people, and so they all knew that. Another use of salt is to disinfect. See, when it's not just to preserve, but as you, maybe have, you may have seen, you've been to other countries or you've been in the States where you've seen open markets, where they've got just meat hanging from the street or from the, the shop, and it's like, there, you've got flies hanging all around it. You've got people touching it. You've got dirt being kicked around. And just, it's just not a clean area. And so a lot of bacteria just all around this meat. And salt is used to disinfect and to purify and to, to preserve that meat for what it is and what it's going to be used for. Next thing is, is salt flavors. Does any of y'all like, do any of y'all like unsalted fries? No, yeah, exactly, what is that, right? No, I hate unsalted fries. Um, not that I would ever seek it out, but like, the more salt, the better. And people joke me all the time is that I will die of a heart attack because I pour that much salt on almost everything. But it, the purpose of doing so is just that it flavors. It makes it rich, it makes it more enjoyable, it makes it more tasteful to, for allow us to have a better meal. Um, but flavoring here, like, that's what they use salt for as well, is to, to add flavor. But by, by nature of flavoring something, especially salty, it makes you thirsty. It, craves, it You crave thirst, whether that's water or another kind of drink. You have something that like your body just needs fluid to wash down like the dryness that the salt does in your mouth. And so people in the area, and as, as Jesus has given this message, they know that. They, they know the, the tools and the uses of salt. And so Jesus is saying in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how is its saltiness to be restored? And so this, this, this is a claim, this is identity that's being spoken out saying you are salt to the believers. And so you're to take these characteristics, you're to take the, the characteristics of preservation, you're to preserve truth, you're to be different than that is of what is not salted. And you're to preserve the truth and you're to, be, you're to be something, you're to add flavor to the relationships in your lives. You're to be able to, be, to live a life that's going to be attractive and, and make people thirsty for more of what you have. And so that's what Jesus is saying with salt. The second thing he calls out is that you're light. And so if you check out verse 14, Jesus says, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the entire house. So we're light. Jesus says to believers, You are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And so I think just as I think about this, it's like it's very straightforward. Jesus isn't trying to make a really hard metaphor to understand. It's literally, you are light. You are to bring a light into the darkness because you can't have light without darkness and you can't have darkness without there being a contrast to light. It's like, we live in a dark world and we all know that. And that's what Jesus is calling out saying, and you are to be different. So let's check out some of the sources of light or uses of light. First, we see that it takes away darkness. Obviously, if we were to dim down these lights completely, you wouldn't know that anything was going on up here. And so it takes away the darkness. We know the light gives us life. I mean, we rely on the sunshine every single morning to get us up, to live our lives on a, on a regular basis. We also know that sight, or light restores sight. I mean, it allows us to be able to see and to, to have vision. And we see that light removes fear. I Man, were any of y'all terrified of the dark when you were little? Still am. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> no, I just remember being a little kid and thinking, like, oh, I just know that I have to leave with my door cracked with the hall light on or the bathroom light on because... I felt safe that way. I felt safe having a light in the distance that I could know what, what's out there. Um, so you're not alone in that, and I think that's natural because I've never heard anyone ever say, I'm scared of the light, right? It just doesn't happen. Um, so it's natural to be fearful of the dark, and that's when we know that like, bad things often happen more at night or in the dark because you're hidden. Light exposes you. And so that's what Jesus is saying as he's calling you out as believers, saying, man, you're not only salt, but you're light, not only do you add flavor and, and preserve truth, and you're to be a light of, of me. You're to reflect a life that comes only from knowing me. And so as you think about this, as you think about the, the two different metaphors here, the other thing that I think about as I think about light is this metaphor as he talks about the city on a hill. I think, immediately think of Cinderella's Palace. Which is a weird kind of thought, I know, but how many people have been to Disney World? Yeah, okay, a good number of us. Have you seen Cinderella's Palace? Yeah, it's almost, you can't go to Disney World and not see it because it's the biggest thing down Main Street. And so I'm just picturing, as I'm reading this, this is what came to mind, is I'm walking out the street, I'm walking on Main Street, and you've got shops over here, and you've got restaurants over here, and you walk out, and your eyes just immediately, as you look down the street, you see the palace. I mean, you are captivated by what's down there. And especially at night. When, when it's night, I mean, there's, it's not too light out, but you just see all the lights. The castle just lights up with with all that it has, with the crystals and the diamonds and all the whatever fake or real is there, you've got lights that are just like just blasting this building that just make you think, wow, I, like, I, I want to go in that. I want to go see what's in there. I want, I want more of that in my life. I just want to go be a part of, I want, like, is there a party down there? You see, you hear music and you want to get in on it. It's like, um, yeah, that's, that's part of what this is. You're a city on a hill that can't be missed. And so as you can't walk down Main Street and not see Cinderella's Palace, Jesus is saying, you can't go throughout your every day as a believer and and not let people know there's something different about you. You have a light inside of you. So why is that important? Like, why is it that people need to see a difference in us? Well, verse 16 gives us the answer to that, and it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So it's all about God. It all goes back to God. I just think about this in regards to just the, the darkness and why light is so important as a reflection of, um, of giving God glory, is that we all naturally, I think, want to be good people. Is there anyone in the room that just can't wait to be bad tomorrow? Yeah? Okay, we got, okay, we got a few. I, I get you. Um, but for the most part, I don't know too many people who just say, I can't wait to go to jail. I can't wait just to ruin someone else's life. I can't wait to just mess up as much as possible. I think we naturally are just like, oh, I'm a good person. Like I lived a good life. I, I, I obey the rules. But if we're doing good just to do good, I think it's as useless as salt that's lost its taste and light that's being hidden. Like As we look at the scripture and look at like Jesus calls out and that metaphor that he's using of salt and light, he's saying, don't. Don't lose your salt. don't Don't hide your light because we live in a dark enough world and to have someone else hiding what you already have doesn't do it any good. And so if you think, if you're in school and you're hanging out with the individual that's just kind of rejected a little bit more often than others. Just to, just to be kind, that's great. That's nice of you. But so what? It's like, so it doesn't make you any different than the next guy, right? Or the next girl. Like, it really just makes you just a good person. But if you aren't reflecting, it all goes back to the heart. If you aren't reflecting the image of God and the reason and to bring glory to God to do that, people aren't going to actually be able to see a difference in you. They're just going to think that you're just another person. So, as you think about that, I know you guys, as high schoolers, you guys go through a lot. I mean, there's nothing easy about your lives, but you know the world is a dark place just as much as I do. You live in, the, you see the news, you see the wars break out. You know that families fall apart. You know that, that murder takes place. People cheat, people lie, people steal. I mean, the world is an ugly, ugly place at times. But Jesus isn't surprised by that, and that's the good news, is that even in the time that Jesus is giving this message to the people and, that are listening, I mean, it was, like, it was not a pretty picture. And that time in history, it was ugly. But Jesus still says that there's hope, and that's the good news, regardless of this time that we're in and kind of how messed up our lives are. Like, Jesus says that there's hope, and that's the glory of it all, because he ultimately says he's the light, and he gives a life. And so he says in John 8, verse 12, that I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus says, like, very bluntly, with no filter on, it's like, hey, you're, you live in a world of darkness? Well, good, good, good luck because, not good luck, I'm sorry. Um, but it's, it's great, good news. <laughs> good news because I have light. And then I have life in that light. And so let's take, it, for example, the sun and the moon. The sun and the moon are the two natural sources of light in our, in our world. And we rely on the sun for absolutely everything. I mean, without the sun, like, we are D-E-A-D dead, right? I mean, there is, we rely on the sun for getting up in the morning. We rely on the sun for the nutrition. We rely on the sun for our own health, our energy. I mean, everything that we do in life requires the sun. And we know that if the sun was further away, we'd freeze. And if it was anything closer to the earth, we'd burn up. The sun is everything to us. The moon, on the other hand, I mean, it lights up our night sky, but it actually isn't a source of light on its own. I mean, the moon is only a reflection of what the sun gives it. And so without the sun, we're dead. Without Jesus, we have no life. I mean, that's, that's what the scripture says. And so think about this. Think about what this means for, for you and for the way that you live out your salt, that you are salty amongst your communities, amongst your friends, amongst your family, amongst your school teachers, your coaches. Are you light in these places? Because there is a difference. And God says that people are to be able to see the difference. And so as you look at that analogy, my challenge to you is to think, like, how are you doing with that? As this call to Christians, as believers, like, what, what does that influence look like? Because we all have influence, just like Ben did on his team. Like, God has placed you in all these specific areas to have an influence amongst your peers, amongst your family. Like, what, is, what does your salt taste like? What, is, what does your light actually look like? Are you are you any different? I mean, you go to school tomorrow. What is that going to look like for you? And if you're saying, no, I don't know that people are going to say that I'm any different. I would just encourage you to just be bold. Like, if you know that that is truth, then you can take confidence in knowing that God's going to give you everything you need to be the salt and light to the people that you're around. And to the other people here tonight, I mean, I know we all come from different backgrounds. And so, you may not be a believer. You may be thinking something totally different and you're just like, I don't get this whole Jesus thing. I don't think that this is for me. I don't understand church, but I'm here tonight. And we're just glad you're here. Like, absolutely thrilled that you're here and, and, and open to listening to what this is. So my encouragement to you is then just begin asking, like, God, are you real? What is, God, what, if you are real, then what is my purpose? Different than just living a good life. Because I can have fun, I can do what I want and, and be okay with that but if there's an actual purpose to my life, what, what does that actually look like? So begin thinking like, what is my purpose? What, is, what am I here for? And, and, and God, if you're real, like show yourself to me. I promise you he will. Like that is what God does is he reveals his truth to us when we ask. And so ultimately as we look at salt and light and what does that mean for our taste? Caleb said in the last service or the very end there that I thought was really good. He said that you know, sometimes we may be the only Jesus that people see, and so, if we aren't reflective of, of Jesus and of that light and what that life that he's given us, I mean, that person could be lost for life. We don't know what other people around us are doing and their lives look like, just like Ben didn't know what his teammate's life was going to look like or end like the day after the Rose Bowl. I mean, life is a gift and it goes like that. And so, just be thankful or thinking of your of actions and the consequences that those have as we live a life saturated with Christ we are to reflect that life and we're to be excited because it gives us a joy that only comes from Christ. And so with that being said, I just want you all to know that regardless of what side of it uh, you're on tonight, that you have a purpose. Like God has created you with such an incredible gift and with influence and power that, that only comes from him. So don't take it for granted, but think about it, the ways that you can utilize that in your everyday life because you have a family at home and you have friends and you have brothers and you have sisters and you got communities around you who are lost in this dark world. And how are we to be if we aren't reflecting of that light? Like, what good is that light if we're hiding it? So let me pray this out. Um, but that's my encouragement to you guys of just know your salt and light and be excited about that charge and that mission because it is such a cool gift in the way that we're to live. Father God, we thank you for this evening. Uh, we thank you for these friends. Um, God, I just pray for, for continued strength, courage, boldness um, in the way that we live for you and our examples of, of the, the people that you would create us to be. God, we, we desire to walk out of this room tonight stronger disciples of you. Um, give us the strength, and once again, to, to love you, to know you, and to be used by you. Um, and that's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.